0: it has been a truly an amazing series and, and i know everybody every every speaker that's got up has said the same sort of thing but i remember greg asking me he said uh, what are you reading what are you what are you hanging around in the in the word and i said to him ephesians and i can't really get off that and the reason for that is because i've realized more and more what such a powerful book it is and you know we can so easily miss what God is trying to say to us. We can get to the end of this year or we can get to the end of the Ephesians and actually learn a lot of information but absolutely have nothing happen in here. And my heart is, and I've been crying out to God, I want this in here. So that it's not just words on a page, it's a living reality in here. You know, if we only received just even a small part of it or one portion of it, our lives would be totally changed. Imagine having the eyes of your heart enlightened. What would you be seeing? What about being living in him? Our starting position, our every position, right to the very end, being found in Christ, the hope of glory. Can you imagine it? One, that's just one point. We've gone over a lot of points there, but imagine just grasping one of those, how different our lives would be. And my prayer is, God, I want to be changed through this. I don't want to get to the end of the book and nothing happened. So I pray that's your prayer tonight as well. And I love what Sandra brought last week about, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You know, it's like two tuning forks. I don't know whether you know physics very well. I, I'm not a mathematician or a f- f- you know <laughs> physicist or whatever you call it. <laughs> I'm a musician. <laughs> <clears throat> but <clears throat> the thing is that if you uh, bang a a tuning fork. You have one tuning fork standing over here, just on the table, standing up. And you bang another tuning fork and you put it up there. The sound of it will make the other one reverberate. And it's the same thing with what God is doing here. He's awakening up. He's awakening our spirit. And there's this frequency that's going forth that is awakening our hearts. Can we catch that? Just like the tuning fork. He's speaking so clearly to this body. He's speaking so clearly. Can we hear it? Can we be moved by it? Well, I want to start. I'm going to read a fair bit of passage at the moment, but don't worry. I'm not going to speak on the whole thing. But I just want to put the whole thing in perspective. You know what I mean? It's great to read the whole thing so that we can get clarity of it. So if we're in Ephesians 5, if we turn to verse 15, It says there, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's interesting, eh? The days are evil. They're getting worse, guys. But God already told us that. But are we standing up as lights? Because that's why God is transforming us too, that we will be a light for those that are falling apart because of Christ in us. The hope, the fragrance, the the people will be drawn because of what they see in us when everything else is falling apart. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we've spoken about that. The whole book of Ephesians is pointing to it, is showing us so much about what the Lord's will is. It takes away so much of I've got to try and find my destiny and my purpose. Because we're focusing on what his will is. So he's waking us up out of this, this whole thing of living for self, as we heard this morning. Because when you're living for self, you're focused on self things. You're focused on your plan, your purpose, everything but his. But we just call it in his name. Mm. Therefore, do not be unwise. Unwise the wisdom comes from him and him alone and do not be drunk with wine which in which is dissipation but be filled with the spirit that is so important why is it so important to be filled with the spirit can we do this in our own strength the changes that what god is speaking of in Ephesians cannot be done in our own method our own ways our own methodologies, whatever you like, it's not going to work. It's him doing it in us through his spirit, as we'll find out a little bit more later on. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? Because when you look at that, It's an internal position of praising him. We can do it externally for so long. But when the pressure comes, can we be like Paul and Silas sitting in prison, bruised and beaten? I'm sure that 99% of us would have sat there thinking, oh, poor me. (laughs) It would have been been difficult. But his internal, internal positions were, God, we thank you. We praise you. How can you thank God for that? Bruised, bleeding, in the most smelly, awful prisons. Stank. And yet here they are praising and worshipping. It's an internal position. Always giving thanks for some things, all things. All things. I mean, actually, there's a whole section on this that we could do. But I'm actually trying to get to the verse 21 onwards, which is where I'm heading. But it's true, a thankful, grateful heart God's attracted to. He sees it and he's attracted to it. Because there's something in here that says, God, no matter what we go through, I want to thank you. Then it says, submitting one another in the fear of God. Oops, things have changed a little bit here. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to her to himself, sorry, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, as he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. It's not a very popular topic, is it? <laughs> I really enjoy reading history books. Give me a history book and I'll devour it. I just love it. I love, And if people go around to my home, they can see all the DVDs on, <laughs> on my wall. It's about true stories or history of some sort. I really enjoy it. I also really enjoy historical novels <laughs> that are really well written. Now, I've got some really good favourite authors that do that. And I love it when you get the plots, about three or four different plots, all happening at the beginning, and you don't know how on earth they're related. And as the book progresses, as the tension rises, as everything builds to a peak, suddenly you get the climax and it all comes together and you think, wow, that is just amazing how it all worked out. And you think, wow, I'd love to read more of that. You know, It just really inspires you. But I've also read books that have... Started off similar to that, and when you've got to the climax, it's been quite, yeah, it's okay. It's been a bit of an anti-climax, and you think, boy, that was a waste of time (laughs) reading that. Anyone been there, read that? Well, actually, the book of Ephesians can be read two ways. You can read it in one eye's. Well, there's two ways you can read, and I'll come back to that. See, with the book of Ephesians, Paul has been building precept upon precept, little by little by little by little, little and building and building being found in him our starting position our lifelong position having the eyes of our hearts being enlightened having our perspective from a heavenly one having our spiritual eyes open made alive in Christ brought near the walls of separation are being broken down being adopted as sons into his kingdom now revelation that comes through his spirit the flesh can't understand it it's in opposition uh, to him and whatever he reveals the household of God and how it all fits together God's building it, not man, the purpose and revealing the mystery, his love towards us, oneness the fivefold, the new man imitating Christ walking in the light and becoming awake Paul is building to the climax and then suddenly wives submit to your husband some preachers just stop right there for the husband is the head of the wife, <laughs> as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives. That's, that, that's easy, bro. That's easy, bro. <laughs> but they fail to understand. They fail to understand the next bit, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But, wives, I want you to take out a piece of paper and I want you to write 1,000 times on it I must obey my husband. And then sign it at the bottom. <laughs> Seriously, do you think Paul was building up to a climax just to lead us to a whole lot of rules and regulations? But how often have we read it like that? Isn't it so true? We, we, we miss the whole point. See, please hear me. You see, if we haven't had a real revelation of what it is to be found in him, we will only see the climax as a set of rules and regulations. If we've never had a real revelation of God, how, of how he builds his church, When we come to this, we'll only see it as a whole lot of rules and regulations. If we've never had a real revelation of his love, we will only see this passage as a set of rules and regulations. I mean, I could go on through the whole thing. But in actual fact, when you see it in the spirit of what Paul is actually bringing, it's the most beautiful thing. It is a climax, and it's bringing something out that we often see. If we see it in the flesh, we will never see it. But if we see it in the Spirit, and with, through the eyes of Revelation, suddenly we understand what Paul is bringing. And it's the most beautiful thing. It is a great climax. Paul says in verse 32, This is a great mystery, but I, am spe- I speak concerning Christ and the church. How often we miss it. Sadly, over the years, I've I've only ever heard it spoken to as rules and regulations, from a fleshly position. I don't think I've ever heard it spoken of in any other way. And personally, when I used to read it, I used to skip over it. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is you know, the next bit's the next bit's better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but really, it's talking about, you know. It's leading us to the Bride of Christ. It's leading us somewhere. And it's the most beautiful thing. I remember when we Sandra and I first arrived at the rock, Greg asked us, what, about, what did we think about the Bride of Christ? And we thought, the Bride of Christ. Yeah, we'd heard about it, but I'd never heard a sermon on it. And yet, this is part of God's eternal purpose. How come we haven't heard about it? How come it's not being preached in the body of Christ? Because really my understanding of it was so vague. And yet now, wow, what is God leading us to? It's the most beautiful thing. So let's go over some of this passage a little bit more. And it really starts with verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God can we submit to each other in our own strength can we the church has tried <laughs> and we've ended up with a broken church split thousands and thousands of different ways people arguing bickering backbiting splitting you name it i had uh, a, a, a one of the neighbors was South African one of our neighbours, and uh, he was joking around. He said, "You know, you can have two. You can have two um, South Africans on a desert island." He said, "And you can still have three churches." <laughs> 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 he said, "Because they argue a lot between themselves, and they keep splitting because they can't get together." <laughs> <laughs> You see, the best we can do if we try it, and the only way we can do it is to set up a whole lot of rules and regulations so that we can submit to each other. But rules and regulations don't do it. It only tries to control it. So what's the missing ingredient? What's the missing ingredient in all of this? Any ideas? Love. Love. His love, not our love, His love. And when we have a revelation of His love in us, and His love begins to abide in us and change us from the inside out, then we can love like He loves. But we can't do that in our own strength. We can't conjure it up. We can't rehearse it. We can't try and, oh, that's right, I've got to remember how to do it. It just comes out because love is. It's Him. Him. It's just as Luke uh, Luke 22, verse 25 to 27, as Jesus speaking, says, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? Yet, I am among you as one who serves. Isn't that powerful? See, true love, his love, for he is love, in us submits freely to one another. Serving with grace, forgiving each other, keeping no records of wrong, it's long-suffering, it's kind, It's rejoicing in the truth, bearing with one another, believing all things, enduring all things. It's not puffed up. It does not parade itself. It's not envious of each other. It's not puffed up in pride. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own interests. It's not provoked and thinks no evil towards each other. This kind of love never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's this kind of love that submits to each other. His love. And it's not a put on, it's a lifestyle. Matthew 22 verse 36 to 40 talks about the great commandment. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? See how we often try and box things? We've got to know what is the top of the list and the bottom of the list. We've got to know the formula. Give us the formula that we may be able to do this. It was focused on the law, law law-based. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And John uh, chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the church known for? Loving one another? (laughs) Now, I want to read you a passage of Scripture. And I want you to tell me how many laws and regulations you hear. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Get your pens ready. See how many you can note down. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day were about three thousand souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, for many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among, among all as any one had need. So continually daily with one so continuing daily with one another in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So how many did you count? How many? Z- zero. You mean it wasn't controlled by rules and regulations? My goodness. that would leave the church quite <laughs> today quite uh <laughs> why? Why were there no rules and regulations? The first church was born through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave them the power to love. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just to love, but to overcome because Christ abided in them. What came out was organic, natural, not forced, and it flowed out. In fact, his love in them could not be stopped. Nobody had to be. T- nobody had to tell them to go and pray. It just happened. They gathered together because of the life that was in them to pray. Nobody had to tell them to sell their property. The Holy Spirit prompted the ones to sell. And they gave, and guess what? There was no lack. There was no holding on to anything. Now, you can't do that unless you've seen something far greater. And the joy, the joy that was there. Nobody had to be coaxed or encouraged to praise and worship him. Come on, guys. <laughs> We're going to sing the song again. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? <laughs> and yet, the life when the life of Christ is in us, there's the lifting up of the hands automatically. You don't have to be coaxed or drawn or, or or wound up to be able to do it, because it's naturally in them, in us. Nobody had to be. Nobody had to tell them to look after each other. They looked after each other, and they kept. Together, the, the love kept them together with one heart, one mind, one Lord, one faith. Boy, oneness. Nobody had to tell them to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They had a hunger in them that they couldn't, you know, it was just like, I can't get enough of this. I want to grow. And they were growing without even knowing it. And that's transformation when you sometimes don't even know what God is doing in you, but you're being changed from the inside out and your lives are reflecting it, becoming a living demonstration. There is a couple of things I want to draw to your attention in that passage, though. Who's building the church? Yeah, the Spirit. God is building his church. And as an eldership in this place, we're really determined to to let him build this. That's why we've had to let go a lot of the programs that we had, and people running here, there, and everywhere doing all sorts of things. God was saying, I want you to focus on me. And as an eldership, we're really determined to make sure that he builds the church, not us. It's so easy to default back to a program, so easy to default back to something other than him and and, and go astray. The oneness that came through the power of the Holy Spirit was not by man rules and regulations. They had one heart, one mind, one soul. They had oneness of everything. And there were no rules and regulations. There was no saying, you must do this. They were all focused in the one direction. Nobody had to, uh, I mean, there was a fear of God. The fear of God came upon them. There was a reverence towards God. You know what? There was no room for the flesh. The fear of God was there. They didn't want to do anything in their own strength. They wanted to do it through the power of God, and God was working in them mightily. The fear of God. They knew it was God. Boy, wasn't it amazing hearing what Sam said about Ananias and Sapphira and about imitating God? Sometimes it's so easy to try and copy, to try and copy. But see, it's all externally done. But God is changing us from the inside out. I mean, we could look around here and we say, well, oh, I've got to try and be like Paul. So, does that mean I've got to grow a beard with those grey hairs and talk like George Clooney? (laughs) Does it mean I have to be like. (laughs) Does it mean I have to be like Sam and how he preaches and how he teaches and the way he stands and the way he talks? But apparently, to change a light bulb, you know the joke about how many does it take to change a light bulb? Well, apparently, if you're only allowed to stand on a certain number of rungs on the ladder. Now, you're not allowed to go up to the top or anything like that. You've got to stand on a couple. And if the light bulb is out of reach, you've then got to set up a whole lot of um, scaffolding. But the thing is that you can't set it up. You've got to get professionals in to set up the, the scaffolding so it's been done properly. And then you can stand up there and change the light bulb. So one little white bulb. I don't know how much it costs to change a light bulb. <laughs> Now it gets very, very expensive if you go the whole way. I mean, technically, we should all be sitting in here wrapped in bubble wrap. <laughs> it gets so we have to control everything, <laughs> control into a box. The clue is back in verse 21 submitting to each other in the fear of God. That's exactly what it was like in the book of Acts. Because the church was so good at trying to copy the First Church, our programs and entertainment, we lack the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have little fear of God, and we have very little love of God, because the flesh is still in control. And you heard a lot about that this morning. In fact, the flesh is rampant throughout the church. In fact, we've blurred the lines so much, we can't tell which is really of the Holy Spirit and which isn't. And we've called so much under the name of God, and yet it's all flesh, or some of it is flesh. Don't worry, I was doing it. Hence why we have very little impact upon the world today, particularly in the Western culture. People in the day of Pentecost had such surrendered hearts, the Holy Spirit was truly able to rule and reign within them, and true freedom came. Because we operate out of our fleshly mindsets, we often, as I said, we often call it, you know, of God, but often it's of the flesh. When God is in control, there's no room for the flesh. So we ended up with two scenarios. We have people going off the crazy end, going here, there and everywhere, doing their own things and doing what is right in their own eyes, which can lead people astray. It's often fleshly driven. So to combat that, we've got to have a whole other set of rules and regulations around it in order to protect what God's given us. Wouldn't be easier just to have the Holy Spirit doing the whole thing, eh? <laughs> and the freedom. But you can see it, it's a fine line, isn't it? It's a real fine line. Sometimes you get some churches that are extremely controlling. Extremely controlling. You step out of line, boy, you know. And others, you don't get much at all, and everybody's doing their own thing and going here, there, and everywhere. And yet God is trying to bring people back into him and focused on him and going the one way. If we focus on him, a lot of the division would go. We wouldn't have to have rules and regulations because we're all going towards him. However, there are some times when, as, a, as eldership too, we've got to be able to protect what God has given us and make sure the sheep are going in the same way. It's, it's one of those very fine lines Because it's amazing how many people try to take you off track and get you going here, there, and everywhere. But the flesh, our fleshy nature is self-focused, self-driven, full of self-pity, self-preservation. We do anything to guard it and protect it, and it's in all of us. So when we hear things like submit to one another, our flesh reacts. It's because it's still alive in us. And we have this thing that says, you can't tell me what to do. But this is the Word of God. When we read it as our own mindsets, we will only see it as rules and regulations. And I mean, Christ gives us that beautiful example in Philippians, and you all know it. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if, any, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, of any fellowship of the Spirit, of any affection, sorry, affli- sorry, affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look, not out for his own interests, but also the interests of others, and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, having the form of a bond servant, and coming into the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Uh, even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our example. He submitted to his Father. He submitted in the garden when he could have given it up, but he didn't, he said, Lord, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted. Paul submitted to one another. And the same thing should be in us as well. I just want to read something. Just I've been really enjoying this book that um, called The Harvest uh, by Rick Joyner. And there's just a couple of things in here that... Uh, this just really wonderful. It says, Those who enter into the unity of the true spirit will not be even aware of it. Their attention will not be on the church and what he is, she is attaining, but on the Lord himself. The advancing church is soon to rise above worshipping the temple of the Lord to worshipping the Lord of the temple. This is what This, this will result in true unity. There's been the fundamental deception throughout the body of Christ, which has tried to focus our attention on who we are in Christ instead of who he is in us. We do need to know who we are in him, but when that becomes our emphasis, we will never become who he has called us to be. We are not only changed by seeing ourselves, uh, we are not only, sorry, we are not changed by seeing ourselves. It is by beholding his glory that we are changed into his image, which is the image the church is called to bear. Christianity is not a formula. It is a relationship with Christ. And the church is not the pattern for the church. Jesus is the pattern for the church. The unity of the church will never come from everyone finally deciding to do everything the same way. It will only come when we all start following The same one. Wow, isn't that powerful? And there's so many examples. Jesus washing the disciples' feet of submitting to one another. Really, really humbling. I mean, that was done by the lowest servant to wash anybody's feet. But this was the king of kings washing people's feet. It was done in humility. It was done with everything. It's about humbling ourselves. It's allowing himself. And I just love what Greg brought this morning about being broken. You see, we can't do this unless we're broken because the flesh still takes control. Even if it's 90% gone, the 10% will still rise up And we'll try and take over. The flesh has to be broken. And it's a hard, difficult process. But when we come into it, when we allow God to do it, it is life-changing. So when we come to wives, submit to your husbands, there's a willingness to come under. But at the same time, for the husband to love his wife, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands... How can we expect our wives to submit to us if we cannot love her as Christ loved the church? Men, it starts with us. That's a big responsibility. And when his love is in our hearts and his power is working in us, there are no rules and regulations but freedom and the vibrancy of life as God works within us. We don't lose, but we gain. And the concept of the world is that we lose. We've taught ourselves so much that we lose, so much. And yet, it's not the, heaven, the way of heaven. It's the other way around. So why is God's process of, of submitting to one another so important? You know, what's he doing in our midst right now? What's God waking us up to? Are we hearing the frequency of what God is trying to do? He's not trying to do it. He is doing it. If we surrender, if we give, if we allow him, if we surrender to him. Verse 26 to 27, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of of water by the word that he may present to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish without wrinkle without blemish ladies are thinking gosh I wish I could get some of that cream (laughs) (laughs) But 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 when you think about it Again, it's not external. (laughs) It's internally. And there's a sanctifying process. (laughs) But there's a sanctifying process as the bride gets herself ready. When Sandra and I got engaged, we didn't sit back and think, oh, well, we're going to get married in five months. And a month or two went by, oh, you see, we're going to get married in two months. And time went by, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to get married in one month. Right from the word go, we were thinking, how are we going to do this, and how are we going to do that, and who do we need to contact, and who do we do this, where do we get the dress from, where do we do this, where do we get the cake made. You know, all these things, and that whole five months was in preparation for a certain day. And yet God is calling us to be his bride. So are we sitting back and thinking, oh, well, you know, one day he will return. We're like the virgins in the lamp with no lamp the, no oil in the lamp. And suddenly it's going to come and we're going to be, oh, yeah, that's right, um, uh, it was somewhere in here. God's waking up our spirit so that we've got time and preparation to get ready. But if we're still asleep, we will just be the same next year and the year after and the year after that, and no changes are happening. Then suddenly when something happens and everything falls apart, we fall apart because there's nothing built on the inside of here. We're not prepared for when he returns. But God is leading us to himself, drawing us, Preparing us. You know, we don't have to worry about, as Greg said on Thursday, and, and I wish I wish it had been recorded because I can't do any of this justice compared to what Greg brought on Thursday. It was so wonderful about the bride and the focus at the end and, and things like that. It was just amazing. But we don't have to try and think, I'm going to be a bride, I'm going to be a bride. It's just getting our hearts surrendered before him, allowing him to do the work in us. If our eyes are continually on him, he's changing us. He's preparing us, whether we're the bride or not. Allow him to do it in us. But there is a sanctifying process, and that's how we're transformed. We can't get there without being transformed or changed on the inside. He's looking for a church that is what? A glorious church, having Not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Holy, without blemish. That speaks of preparation. So the bride is preparing so that she is anchored in the eternal, not being pulled here, there, and everywhere. And she is different. She is different because of the work that he is doing within her. I love Hosea too. It's one of my favorite uh, chapters. It talks about the bride. He talks about luring his lover into the five-star hotel on on an island resort. Where is he luring her? Into the wilderness. Boy, he didn't have very... (laughs) I mean... Can you imagine taking your husband or your wife to the the Sahara desert? <laughs> I believe the sun is good. That's about it. Good for camels and all that sort of thing. But yeah. But why is he luring her into the desert? Yeah, speak to her tenderly. But he's luring away from all the distractions of everything else and the ties of this world that so anchors us down. And so he lures us into the desert, into a place that, is, that hasn't got all those distractions. And guess what? It says here that he takes him through the valley of Acre, which is the valley of trouble. The Valley of Trouble? Sometimes we, we we get things so muddled up. We go through things and we think, you know, we're being attacked. So we've got to fight it. We've got to fight the devil. And yet actually it's God trying to draw stuff out of us and doing a work in us so that he can refine us as gold. And yet we're resisting it and saying, it's of the devil. Actually, we sometimes... We need to ask, what are you doing? What are you showing us? What are you doing in me? Sometimes there are attacks, but the majority of times it's actually God wanting to work in us. How many times are we meant to give thanks to God in all situations? Does that mean in the wilderness? Yeah. What happened to Jesus when he was in the wilderness? He came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're in the wilderness, what does God want to do in you? He's wanting to change you so that you come out in his power and in his strength because he's the only one that can change you. And as you heard this morning, it's when we come to the end of ourselves, when we're in that dry place, when we're in that wilderness that stinks, that's hot, that's unbearable. It's when God does something deep. I know when, and you've heard my testimony of how I struggled uh, in that pain that I went through and how I cried out to God when the pain was getting worse and how he spoke to me. The pain didn't go, but the peace of God was with me and he was doing something in me that I'll never forget. And he revealed his love to me. I would never have known that if I hadn't gone through that. But I can look back and I can thank God for what he was doing in me at that time. What's he doing in us when we're going through it? You see, the beautiful thing is that she comes out, instead of calling him master, she calls him my husband. Suddenly there's intimacy there. There's closeness. There's oneness that you may not have had when you were with him before. So when you're going through places like that, don't retreat and and run off, but allow God to do the work in you. Run to him, run into him. And she became transformed. So I know time has basically gone. I just want to end with, with one beautiful thing, a story that's really struck me. And I haven't done the Bride of Christ justice at all. It really needs somebody else to go over it again, even next week. But it's such a powerful thing. But listen, you've all heard of the woman who came to Jesus with the alabaster jar, right? And washed his feet and, and everything like that. And we think, oh, yes, what a beautiful thing that she did. But there's actually quite a lot more underneath that that you may not realize. In a Jewish, traditional Jewish family, a father would buy a costly jar of nard, of, of perfume, was really costly and of course they could only afford often one jar that was it for his daughter so when she would be grown up later on and then betrothed she would use that so that when the the her groom to be she accepted she would bow down and she would break that bottle because you can't screw there was no screw top you had to break it and you had to pour it out the whole thing it was, her, it was a sign of her love and submission and saying, I am only for you, and committing her heart to that person, to her groom. And then together they would look forward to their wedding day. It was a beautiful thing of surrendering. Now Here's this woman. She comes into Jesus. She's a sinner. Everybody knows that she's a sinner. They're seeing with all their eyes of, this woman in here? And yet all she sees is Jesus. Now by kneeling down and weeping and wiping his tears, she's at the end of herself. She breaks that alabaster jar. She pours it over his feet. You know what she's doing? She's saying goodbye to ever marrying someone else again. They only had one jar but she's giving herself entirely to him. Isn't that beautiful? She's saying, I'm submitting to you. Did she see something that the others didn't? Yeah. Otherwise she would never have broken that jar. She may have washed his feet with her her tears, but she broke the jar, which meant that I'm giving everything to you. That's beautiful. But there's another bit to it as well. (laughs) Jesus says what he says, she's anointed me for my burial. Now that's really quite significant because in Jewish custom, when a, when a marriage proposal was brought together like that, it could only be broken by the death of the groom. It was a covenant and it could only be broken by the death of the groom, which meant that Jesus was going to die. You know, the significance of this is this, that God isn't saying, you've got to marry me, bang. He's saying, I'm setting you free from that covenant for you to choose for yourself who you will love, who you will submit to, who you will long for. Now that's love. Instead of rules and regulations, He says, I give you the free choice. And so tonight, he gives you the free choice to either love him as a husband-to-be or love someone else. It's a big big choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such beautiful love that you give us. You don't give us a whole lot of rules and regulations. You give us love. You give us the choice to choose, whether we choose you or another. So, Father, we pray that our hearts would be toward you. Our hearts would be lured into the wilderness. Our hearts, Lord God, would be broken, that we would fall upon the rock, that we would be made whole. Through the death of ourselves, we come into life with you. Instead of calling you, a master, we call you our husband. We have that intimacy, we have that life that only comes from you. And we live our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength, but through you, you doing the work in us so that we can love like you can, so that we can see like you, so that we can hear like you, that we can act like you in everything because it's our internal position. So I pray for every person here tonight and those that may listen to this, that, Lord, we would say yes to you. And I just pray that each heart would be aligned with your purposes. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.